I do want to welcome you this morning if you're here for the first time. Uh, I pray and trust that if you are here for the first time this morning, that you are encouraged by God's word and that you're encouraged by how the Lord speaks to you. I'm interested not in what I'm saying this morning. I'm interested in what the Lord has to say to you this morning. And if your heart is open and ready to receive what God has to tell you this morning. And, and I pray that you are encouraged and that you draw closer to the Lord in everything that you hear, uh, both in song and in the word as we fellowship today. So let me pray for us. Let me pray for us this morning as we... Um, as we open up God's word and we listen to what the Lord has to tell us this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are a loving God. You are a caring God. And you are also a very righteous and just God. And I thank you that you do everything for our good. You are the strong arm that rescues us. You are uh, the faithful one that stands with us. Uh, and there is nothing that comes against us, Father, that is too big for us because you are greater and mightier than all things. Uh, Father, you don't waver or move uh, when things happen. You are consistent and you are reliable. And we thank you for this. And Lord, we come to you this morning praying that you speak into our hearts, that we would open our hearts to receive your word and that we would receive everything that you have to say to us, Lord. I pray for those among us this morning that are broken uh, that are scared, that are fearful. I uh, pray for those among us this morning who are uncertain about the future. Uh, I pray for a peace that comes from heaven. I pray for a peace that passes understanding to settle in their hearts because they look to you and know that you're in control. Uh, Lord, I pray for your blessing on all that we do and say and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want, to, I want us to go to a story today. I want us to go to First, um, first Samuel uh, chapter 17. And uh, children, you would know this story because I'm sure you've, looked, you've discussed it before in Sunday school. Uh, if you haven't, you've got an opportunity to read about small, small boy called David, big man called Goliath. But there's a beautiful story here for us as Christians of all ages. A beautiful story that God puts in the Bible and it's like a classic. It's one of those classics. You know, when you look at classic movies, sometimes you're flicking through the telly and you see a classic movie, you know, a Western movie, or someone everyone knows about this classic movie. You know, this is a story in the Bible that's a classic story. David and Goliath. True story. True story about a young boy who was able to overcome a very big giant as well. And so this is one of those classic stories. And I'm always fascinated in the Bible when God dedicates so long to a story. You know, I've, I've shared that before. And this is one of those other stories that God dedicates so long to in the Bible. There's a lot of verses that we're not going to get through all these verses. So I've just picked a few verses for us to understand this beautiful story of, of David and Goliath. And so the first thing I want you to do, brothers and sisters, in first, um, in first Samuel chapter 17, I want the first thing to do is to go to verse 47, because this is going to be the key verse. And so if you're going to write a verse down, if you're going to highlight a verse, um, if you're going to try and remember a verse this week, this is the verse that you can take away for, for you. Uh, there may be other verses. There may be other verses that uh, God reveals to you today uh, as we go through this chapter. But if you're going to highlight any verse this morning, uh, chapter 17, verse 47. So let's start with that verse. Yeah, let's start with that verse together. And then we'll go back and look from the start of the start of um, um, the chapter. This is David speaking, and David and the Bible says this. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle 
is the Lord's. And He will give you into our hands. And that's the verse I want you to highlight. I want you to remember, perhaps even memorize this week. I don't know how you go with scripture memory. I don't know how many of you have tried memorizing scriptures before. Scripture memory or memorization of scripture is an incredibly powerful thing to do. Uh, you don't want to become religious about it. Um, you don't want to make it something that you feel like you have to do. But if you ever take the time to memorize scripture, it's a very, very powerful thing because it, it, you can recall that scripture in different times and in different situations and in different battles. This is one, this is one that I would suggest, I would encourage you to try and memorize, okay? Um, the Bible says again, David says, and, and in all this, this assembly, we're the assembly this morning. I want us to be the assembly this morning. I want us to be the church this morning. I want us to be the ones that are gathered together this morning. And this is what our assembly, our assembly is going to do today. We shall know by the end of this day, we shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear. The Lord doesn't need human effort. The Lord doesn't need human means. The Lord doesn't need something um, that you're intelligently able to think about and, and articulate and construct yourself. The Lord doesn't need these things for the battle is the Lord's. That's what I want us to remember this morning. That, that's what I want us to, to have, keep in our hearts uh, this morning and memorize in our hearts uh, this morning. This is a classic story. And I'm going to make an assumption this morning, brothers and sisters. I'm going to make an assumption. The assumption is this, that every one of us, or at least the vast majority of us, is going through a battle of some kind. Now, I could say quite comfortably, most of us are going through the battle, if not all of us, are going through this massive battle called COVID. But I'm not just talking about that, although that is a battle indeed. And many people might be struggling through this battle called COVID. But I'm talking about all the other battles that still happen, even whether COVID was here or not. And I'm going to assume this morning that most of us, most of us have another battle that's going on, running maybe parallel or maybe, maybe dovetailing to some extent. That, that, that they, there is a battle going on in your heart and your mind. Maybe it's a battle people know about. Maybe it's a battle you've shared with people. Or maybe it's a battle nobody knows about. Maybe it's a battle that only you know about. That deep in your heart, it's a battle only you are aware of. But I'm going to assume this morning that most people listening this morning are going through some kind of battle. And that battle can feel really, really intense, really, really hard, really, really powerful. And I want to tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, as the assembly of God, that God doesn't save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And God puts this story here, not just so we can hear about a cute little boy who kills a big giant. He puts this story here because he has some truths that he wants us to take away. Some lessons that he wants us to learn. Because God's battle, sorry, because the battle is God's. And I pray this morning that we come to understand or find rest, find rest in knowing that God has the battle. I don't know about you, but um, when I'm watching a movie or, uh, I'm, watch or I'm, I'm watching a football game or something like that, I, I tend to like the underdog. Do you, do you like the underdog? Do you, do you like the person who, 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 um, who it doesn't seem to be the likely winner? 
Uh, and, and I don't know, probably by nature, by character, if you are watching something and someone's the less likely one to win, you're cheering them on. You know, you want to cheer them on because you kind of want that, that less likely team to win or that less likely person to win. David here, when he goes to fight Goliath, by all intents and purposes, when people are observing and watching him, he is the underdog. He is the one that is, by the human eyes looking at him, is the less likely one to win. It's like, you know, you know, you know I'm a bit of a Rocky fan. You know, when Rocky, if, you watch, if you watch Rocky 1, and he, he, Rocky's given the, the, an opportunity for the title, a random selection in a book. You know, Apollo selects him for the title. All of a sudden, he's got this opportunity. He's the underdog. He's the one that's less likely to win. He's the one that is kind of be put on a show just to kind of fill the time. And he's able to come out of that, not necessarily winning, but having a different kind of success. But he went into it as the underdog. People are thinking, nah, this guy's not going to, this, this guy can't win. Who is this guy? This guy just kind of does some local battles, Apollo. He's like, whoo, he's like the world champion. In fact, who remembers the cartoon? Uh, children, you may not remember this now. This is more for your parents. Who remembers the actual cartoon underdog? Why did they even call him that? He's this little dog that, that uh, was a shoeshine boy. Remember, he was a shoeshine boy. So he'd, he'd polish the shoes and then he'd hear for help. Or, uh, I think it was maybe Penelope or someone. He'd cry for help and, 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 um, and uh, he would go into a, a telephone booth and he'd burst into uh, to, to underdog. Why did they even call him that? You know, he went from shoeshine to powerful man. But I think it's interesting when it was created, the year it was created, I think it was in the 60s and what was going on in America. But here we have this, this dog that actually, uh, you know, is, is, is named this way. David in this story is definitely, by human observation, the underdog. Listen to the definition of underdog. A personal group with less power than the rest of society. Or, or sorry, so less power than the rest of society. Or if, if we're talking about a competition, the person or team considered less likely to win. The underdog. And we all cheer on the underdog, don't we? We all like to see the underdog cheering on. But in reality, brothers and sisters, this is the reality. We are all underdogs. We are all of us are underdogs. You get through this life, you are an underdog. And so some people succeed and some people think they manage to get there. Some people think they manage to prosper and beat world's, this world and life's challenges. But then they face death. Well, what are you going to do then? Because when you face death, you're, you, there you go again. You're an underdog. Again, you have to do something to conquer death. And your own philosophies and your own theories and your own wishes and hopes. and doesn't matter how many times you pray. All these things aren't going to help you beat death. You need someone who's going to fight on your behalf. You need someone who's going to battle on your behalf. You need someone who already conquered on your behalf. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ who hung on the cross and shed his blood for your sins and for my sins so that he could reconcile us to the Father and become our defender. And Jesus, our defender, wins for us, if you like, salvation and eternal life. And we no longer uh, perceive to be underdogs today. We know that the battle belongs to the Lord. Oh, not my strength, brothers and sisters, but the Lord's strength. 
Not my capacity, but the Lord's capacity. Because it's faith in His powerful Word. It's by His Holy Spirit that is able to come in and conquer those things that for me are, 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 are too strong and too powerful than I can ever conquer myself. So this is a beautiful story of a young boy where uh, Israel, Israel, sorry, the nation Israel is, is fi finding themselves in a battle. And if you're not familiar with this story, let me just very briefly share it with you. Uh, the people of Israel, God's people, are finding themselves in a battle with the Philistines. And, and, and they're, they're standing on one hill and the Philistines are standing on another hill, uh, another mountain, and there's this valley in between them. And this is giant, as the children have told us, there's this giant called Goliath and he's, you know, nine foot tall and he's shouting out and he's saying, come on, come down and fight me because if you fight me and I beat you, you're going to be my servants. You're going to be our servants. And Israel, God's men of war, are petrified. They're horrified. Who is going to go down and, 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 and challenge this giant? And they're frozen with fear. David's brothers are in battle. I think it's three of his brothers are in battle. And David's just at home with his dad. And David's dad says to him, Son, go, check on your brothers for me. Take down these bread. Take down these cheeses. Take, go down and check and bring back word to me. So David goes down. You know, what we think innocently, he goes down, but God's got a plan here. He goes down and he overhears what's going on. And his heart is stirred, his heart is stirred, and he says to some of the men, what's going on here? And they tell him the story, and he says, you know, the king said, if someone beats this man, boy, he's going to be giving him so many rewards, and he's going to set his family free. And David's heart is stirring, and he's thinking, why isn't anyone going? And David decides to go down. He, goes to, he decides to go down without any armor, but he takes with him what he's familiar with, his, his sling and his stone. And he defeats Goliath, spoiler, spoiler alert, he defeats Goliath. And he's able to conquer what the other men weren't able to conquer. And David declares, as we read in verse 47, he declares that the battle belongs to the Lord. And from that, David's name becomes known. But there's so many gems, so many verses in this, in this, this story that I want to I highlight to us this morning that we would understand and realize that this battle is the Lord's. Because the church today, the broader church, has its battles. It has its battles for truth. It has its battles for righteousness. It has its battles for holiness. Because so many churches out there today undermine God's truth and undermine the holiness of the church. So the battle of the church is to maintain the holiness of Christ. And the truth of Jesus. And there are so many battles that the individual Christian goes through sometimes every day. The temptations of life, the issues of life, the surroundings of life, the enemy himself coming against you to the point where you feel like you are paralyzed. But God wants to remind us this morning that the battle belongs to the Lord. And these verses, hopefully this morning, brothers and sisters, will help encourage us. Now, one thing I just as a bit of a side note that I want to remind us all this morning is this. God worked across different generations in different ways in order to preserve his truth and to preserve the faith of his children. There were seasons and generations that God worked in certain ways so that his faith, sorry, his truth is preserved and the faith of God's people is preserved. This was a generation and a season where God's people, God's nation, fought in war against other nations. This is what happened back then. 
because his nation represented him. And there was a season when his nation needed to go and fight and conquer other nations because his name, God's name, was at stake. And so over all the generations, different things happened. God used different things and different people in different ways so that his name and his truth would be preserved. If you look at the story of Elijah and, um, and his own experiences, God, when Elijah's getting discouraged and he's thinking like nobody's doing God's will anymore, everyone's forsaking God, God says to him, Elijah, don't worry. There are 7,000 men that have not bowed their knee to Baal. I've got this, Elijah. I've got this. God does what he needs to do to preserve the faith of his people and the truth, his own truth. That's why in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, when they lied to the Holy Spirit, they died. Because this was God's plan to do this. This is what needed to happen in that season and in that generation. God needed to do what he had to do. And that's God's prerogative. God can do that. God's, God's right to do that. He can do whatever he needs to do, whenever he needs to do it, however he wants to do it. So his truth is preserved and your faith is preserved. And so God does this in different generations and different seasons. And in today's season and today's generation, again, God does it differently. God's not calling me to go and, 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 uh, and target some military leader and some political leader and assassinate him. That's not God's call in our lives as Christians today. God does it differently. In fact, God calls us to pray for our leaders. God doesn't want me to hurt my leaders. God calls us to pray for them. There are different seasons and different generations that God uses in His means, in His ways. And in this season, God chose that He would use a nation, and particularly David, yes, to kill Goliath. But it's everything that happened that is just a fascinating lesson for us. So let's go to verse 2. Let's look at verse 2 and, 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 and just listen to what happens here. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up the battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now, depending how you look at this story, you can look at it as being a really positive thing or a really, really frightening thing. You know, I don't think these guys were social distancing. Yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty certain these guys weren't saying to themselves, guys, mask on, 1.5 meters apart, we're going to keep a valley between us, you know, because these, these guys are doing really well because they're social distancing. I don't think that's the case here. What is happening here is that Israel are frightened. They are stricken with fear. And in between them is a valley. They are on one side of the mountain and, and the Philistines on the other side of the mountain and they don't want to come near them. Ever had that experience when someone says to you, you know what, you've got to go there. You've got to go, you've got to come close to what's happening in your life in order for you to work on this. And you say to that person, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. It's, it's too close for me or it's too raw for me. And it's really, really hard sometimes to get close to the actual issue and you would rather keep a valley between you and the issue. Well, this is how Israel felt. There was a valley between them and the issue. In fact, I sometimes wonder that when David wrote Psalm 23, and he wrote, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I wonder sometimes whether David reflected on this experience in his life. 
Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because David went into the valley. The, the men stood on the mountain and watched. So this is a massive valley in between between uh, um, Israel and, and between, uh, between the Philistines. And I want to ask you this morning, we talked about, I said to you, I made an assumption this morning that you have a battle, whether it's COVID or other things, you have a battle. And I want to ask you this morning, what's that valley for you? What's the valley that you just don't want to go down and deal with? What's the valley that you would rather keep a distance between you and it? That issue, that fear, that temptation, that struggle, that person. What's the valley that you think to yourself, boy, I hope he doesn't mention to me about the very thing that's on the other side of the valley. We all have giants, brothers and sisters. And sometimes we don't want to tell people about our giants, but we have them. And God knows it. And whether God whispers or whether God commands, he says this, the battle is mine. The battle is mine. Because he's concerned for his glory and he's concerned for your well-being. Do you remember Jack and the Beanstalk? Beautiful story, Jack and the Beanstalk. Jack's sells his cow for beans, goes up, mum gets upset, throws the beans, big stalk, goes up and sees the king or the giant, the giant who had stolen from the family, is able to reclaim the goods and is able to conquer the giants. He uses what he has, he has an axe. Down comes the stalk and down comes the giant. You see, every, all these stories of the underdog and the giant, all these stories, what do they show? that there is victory, there is victory. The underdog is able to be victorious. David is no different, you are no different, I am no different. God can write a story about us and how he is working victoriously in our lives. There is a valley, brothers and sisters. There is a valley and God's in the valley. God's in the valley. Let's go to the next verse. And this is a really interesting verse here, brothers and sisters. Uh, verse four. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, we know that a cubit is generally from the fingertip to the elbow. Yeah, that's the length of a cubit. This man was six cubits and a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And what? And the weight of that coat was about 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, I don't know exactly what that weight is, but you know it's possible that every shekel is around about 10 to 20 grams. And so we're talking about possibly 75 kilos of armor on him. That's like the weight of a man. Even more potentially. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and, and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. <laughs> Look at this man. This guy's like a, not just a giant, like a monster. He's not only big and tall, but he's carrying armor and weights like that you would think to yourself is you can't penetrate. Ever thought like that? Ever felt like that? That you fear, that you issue, that you struggle, that that person is something in your life that you think to yourself, this man, this person, this situation, this struggle is yes. so strong, I can't penetrate it. Well, this man is covered with gamma. That the, the, first, the, the first thought would be, how am I going to penetrate my enemy? 
goes on to say verse um, um, verse 20 if you look at verse verse 24 and all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were dreadfully afraid now I want to draw out a few points here the question is this how do you see your issue how do you see your temptation how do you see the enemy how do you see what's going on in your life how do you see this valley in your life it's interesting that the Bible calls him a champion now there's different definitions for this but why does the Bible use the word champion I'm going to suggest something brothers and sisters and it's this that sometimes we give a name to an issue in our life we give a name to a temptation in our life we call it something that it's not we call it something based on how we feel. We call it something based on our fears. We call it something based on our doubt. And this is where the Bible is calling this man, perhaps through the eyes of the Israelites, that he's a champion. Well, really, he's not a champion. But see, when you call something this, you start to believe that's what it is. And when you call your issue or your struggle or your temptation more than what it is, you start to believe that's what it is, that it's so strong that it's a champion. That it's so strong, it can't be penetrated. It's full of armor to the point where like these men, you are dreadfully afraid. And I get that. I feel that. I have felt that. I have felt many situations where the situation in my life feels like a giant that I can't penetrate. Full of armor. Makes me afraid to the point where I conclude it must be a champion. But God is bigger than that. And God is drawing out these things that to remind us the battle is the Lord's. The temptations, beloved, and the issues of life, whether they are covert or whether they are personal, need to be put into perspective. The Bible tells us this. Now the law came to increase the trespass. But listen, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Do you understand that? Yes. There are situations that get worse. There are situations that feel like a mountain. There are situations that feel like too hard to penetrate. They are like a champion. But the Bible says this, where sin increases, grace abounds even more. Because God's got this. God is bigger than our situation. Our faith in God and believing that it's not by power, it's not by might, but by the Spirit of God to be able to conquer and keep conquering both the temptations and the issues in our life because God has the victory. Imagine the devil whispering and saying, no, he doesn't. Imagine the devil whispering and saying, look, champion, strong, tall, can't penetrate it. Too big. Way too big. You better keep that valley between you. But you walk away, not confident, but dreadfully afraid. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, that you may overcome every temptation and sin in your life. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead and overcame so that you may overcome what is going on for you with all the issues of life. Because the battle is the Lord's. I can't tell you how long. I can't tell you how. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you the way God's going to intervene. But I can tell you this confidently, brothers and sisters. The battle is the Lord's. And I know that the Christian, no matter how powerful or persistent the champion is, I know that the Christian, because he humbly trusts the Lord, will overcome. Will find victory. 
in that battle because the battle is his, the Lord's. Look at verse 10. The Bible says this, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Who's he defying? The armies of Israel. Give me a man. Look at verse 26. When David heard this, look what David says. Then David spoke to the men who stood by, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Yeah, because that's the distinction between Philistine and Jewish. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he should defy the armies of the living God. I love this. I love this. Because I reckon here we get a hint. I reckon we get a hint here of why David was so victorious in his battle. Why David was able to elevate above the circumstance and put his trust in the Lord. And this is my, this is my thought. Because all these men were primarily concerned about themselves. That all these men were primarily concerned about their well-being. The preservation of life. Whereas David seems to be primarily concerned about the glory of God. The righteousness of God. The truth of God. And because he's primarily concerned about the righteousness and the truth and the glory of God, he's able to say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he would defy the armies of God. Now, it's not that God isn't concerned about our well-being. In fact, God is very concerned about our well-being. It's not that God wants, doesn't want to restore our soul. God wants to restore our soul. But primarily our vision in our heart must be, brothers and sisters, the glory of God. And I reckon if we think about this for a moment and we contemplate for a moment that our primary concern should be the glory of God, then our hearts shift. They shift and they begin to believe, God, if you are concerned about your glory and what is happening is somehow defiling your glory, then the battle is the Lord's. Do you get that? And you go in with a greater confidence knowing this temptation isn't going to glorify God. This issue may not be glorifying God. This situation can't be glorifying God. And so you know that the battle belongs to the Lord. Jesus had a similar experience in the wilderness. When the devil tempted him and he fought with Jesus. No different to this experience here. Jesus is in a wilderness, David in a valley. And the devil says to Jesus, Jesus! Just worship me. Worship me and I'll give you all these riches. Well, Jesus isn't concerned about himself primarily. He's not concerned about himself first and foremost. He's concerned about the glory of God. And he says, no way. The Bible says you worship God alone. And came out victorious. He came out victorious. So brothers and sisters, what we're doing is we're trusting humbly, in our defender because the battle belongs to the Lord so now David gets to the battle and let me wrap, start wrapping up with this verse 33 
Verse 33, the Bible says, And Saul said to David, because remember David's king, he wants to, he wants to fight, and, he, and they bring him to Saul, who's the king of Israel. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. It's like, David, seriously? You, are, you guys can't be further apart from one another. You, you're a young person. Him, he's been fighting since he's been a young person. What are you talking about? So already, what happens? Doubt. Already, the, the, the devil whispers. Even when this message is over, you think, yes, the battle belongs to the Lord. And, and then by one o'clock in the afternoon, something happens. Something occurs in your life. So, someone says something, you think, oh, that was too good to be true. No. It's too good. It is true. The, the reality is this. The battle doesn't stop being the Lord's. And, and, and King Saul is questioning, how are you going to do this? Look at verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now remember, David was a shepherd, yes? So when the sheep would be under attack from the lion or the bear, David said, The Lord delivered these sheep from the lion and the bear. The Lord used the situation and the Lord helped me and was able to overcome the lion and the bear. And this man, nothing more, because David's rest, his rest was in the defender. Look at verse 38. And so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he also clothed him with a coat of mail and David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off and all of a sudden what happens for a season sometimes, brothers and sisters, is that you go about trying to do it your way. You go about trying to do it with your own intelligence. You go about trying to do it, you know, you know, I'll deal with it, but from a distance. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Until you're prepared to face, face the issue, face the battle, face the temptation, knowing that God is your defender, knowing that the grace of God, and by faith in Him, humble faith in Him, you're able to overcome all temptations and find victory through all issues. Until then... You might struggle with your own means and your own methods. And now the juicy part of the story that probably most kids like to go to. Verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch where he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine, yeah? He went into the valley. If you like, he went down to a place, listen very carefully, he went down to a place of vulnerability. But also, he went down, if you like, humility. Understand what I'm saying? When you go down, it's like you are, being, you are humbling yourself. You're going down. Humility is when you trust 
in what God can do, not what you can do. That's the definition of humility. You come to the end of yourself and you're trusting in what God can do. So David went down. He humbled himself. But listen, he also went to a place not only only of humility, he went into a place of vulnerability. And he took with him what he could, but his heart was resting in the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? He took with him what he could. And I'm not suggesting that we don't. I'm not suggesting that we don't think through things, that we don't try things that we know are familiar. I'm not suggesting that at all. Yes, go and do those things that you think will work. But your trust is that battle belongs to the Lord. So he goes down. The Bible says, verse 41, So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. Oh, the battle's heating up now. Can you imagine, you know, all these... All these people are observing and watching, thinking, who's the underdog here? But the Philistine comes, David comes. If this was a classic movie, you know, you'd have different angle shots of cameras and you have the, the, the music would be growing in intensity at the moment. And the man who bore the shield went before him. Don't forget also that Goliath had another man before him bearing a shield. Just to double up how hard it is to penetrate this champion. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth. Oh, look, a little boy, young boy, coming up against me. Ruddy and good looking. It's like, what's this pretty boy going to do to me? Go back and play with your sheep. So the Philistine said to David, and don't you feel like that sometimes? Sorry, I, I don't mean to be... Uh, I, do, I do it because I want to highlight something. Don't you feel sometimes also that, that, that you feel like you're so insecure and you're so incapable of doing something? And the Lord says, what are you thinking about? I've got this. The battle is mine. And so the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And this is really interesting because what is happening here are the experiences that we have in life. We get mocked, we get ridiculed, we get challenged by our methods and our means. And they might be the thoughts internally that go on or they may be people around us that are telling us whatever. It might be the enemy himself. All these things are a reflection of what's happening to David here by the voice of, of Goliath. And the Philistine said to David, come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the fields. (laughs) What is the Goliath saying here? Come to me and watch. These birds, they're going to feast on you. You know what? Goliath had this attitude, I believe, that he was the one that was going to conquer David. But David didn't have the attitude like that. David says, I come to you, but I come to you very differently. Verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you, not with sling and stone. doesn't say that. He says, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defiled. He says, I come to you not with human efforts. I come to you in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, because God's name will not be defied. And so this whole thing in my life, this whole experience in my life, if this temptation in my life is causing the name of God to be defied, if this temptation in my life is causing the glory of God to be defied, then God himself is able to overcome this in me. Why would I think differently? To David's concern is the glory of God. And David knows the battle is the Lord's. 
This day, verse 46, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you, which he did. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and of the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. His primary, his primary concern is God's glory. Brothers and sisters, it's very simple. No matter how powerful, because remember, Goliath came for 40 days, I believe. I, I, I'm pretty sure the Bible teaches us that it came for 40 days every day every morning saying the same thing come on come out and fight me come out and fight me no matter how powerful or how persistent our temptations and our issues are in life the battle is the lord's and the christian the child of god who humbles themselves goes down and humbles themselves can rest assured and rest peacefully knowing that the lord is his defender he's her defender and that the battle, that there will be victory in the battle. Isaiah says this, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And I reckon David afterwards most certainly would have written a song about this. He's become my salvation because the weapons are not weapons of carnality they're weapons of the lord their faith in his word they're the power of the holy spirit it's grace working in us it's the humble man that's trusting the living god and then so the, the verse now verse 47 that you might have highlighted and i'd love you to memorize this week then all the assembly, that's us, shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so it was when the Philistine arose and came near and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Did David say, whoa, or actually, I've got second thoughts about this. Now he ran toward him. And David put his hand into his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. And so the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. And so the Lord, is, the Lord defeats the enemy. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. What does, that Bible, what does the Bible even tell us that last verse? There was no sword in the hand of David because it's not a weapon of earthly weapon. It's the battle belongs to the Lord. We have different weapons, beloved. We have an armor of faith. You know, a, what is it? A, a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, a sword of the spirit, a shield of faith, a gospel of, of shoes of peace. We've got to keep that armor on because the battle doesn't end now and then all of a sudden you're free for months and months. You might have battles every day. But no matter whether they are every day, no matter how intense they are, how powerful, how persistent they are, the battle always remains the Lord's. John tells us in his letter, little children, and this is in the context of an antichrist, and this is like a life, an antichrist. 
anything that comes against us in the attempt to drag us away, whether it be in our belief or whether it be in our life. It's an antichrist. It's against Christ. And in that context, John says this, little children, you are from God and hope and have overcome them. Amen. You have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Wow. I rest my case, brothers and sisters. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. David rested in his defender. We rest in our defender who is in us now. Greater than he that is in the world. I want to finish with this. Just like the shoeshine boy and underdog who, when people would look at him shining shoes, no one knew about him. But he was a hero. And there are many people, beloved, who are unknown heroes, if you like, unknown faithfuls. You know, it's easy to look at me and, and, and I, I don't know why sometimes, but you can easily look at me and think, oh, you know, I want to have that kind of faith. N not really. You want the faith of Jesus. Please, in fact, don't look at me and say, and say you want my faith. I'd rather look to Jesus and I want his faith. But there are many people, I think, even in our church, that have a faith that's so close to Jesus, but no one knows about them. They're not in the limelight. They're not in front of people. They're not doing things that people can see, but they have a faith that's so close that I'm encouraged by them. But they're unknown. They're the unknown. But you know what's beautiful about that? Faith doesn't discriminate. Faith doesn't say, oh, he looks good. I'll give him faith. Or she's, she's, well, she's a great speaker. I'll give her faith. No, faith doesn't discriminate. When we humbly come to the foot of the cross and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and we put our lives in our hands and we surrender, faith, faith works in us powerfully. Look at verse, um, look at verse, just to finish, verse 55. And when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, oh, I don't know, he's unknown. He's an unknown hero. He's an unknown faithful. No one knows him. But boy, the Lord does. The Lord does, which that's enough. We can just, we can just end there. It reminds me of the, the non-Jewish woman, Jesus, the Canaanite woman, who said that even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table, they fall off the table. And as a non-Jewish woman, the unknown hero, the unknown faithful, if you like, Jesus said, wow, Great is your faith. Great is your faith. And he's mixing with disciples. He's mixing with all kinds of people. And he says to this unknown woman of faith, great is your faith. Let it be done as you desire. I'm seeing, I'm seeing this kind of faith, brothers and sisters, in the church. 
I'm seeing it from people that don't want to be known, don't want to be seen. But they're unknown faithfuls, knowing that the defender is the Lord. And I want to encourage you, if your faith is like this, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Let the Lord continue to be your defender. And if this morning, brothers and sisters, you are feeling like you're one side of the mountain and there's something else on the other side of the mountain, that this morning you would humble yourself, that you would enter the, mount, uh, enter the valley of vulnerability and find healing for the glory of the Lord because the battle is His. And pray for us. Father God, I thank you, Lord God, for this morning. I thank you, Lord, that your word speaks so much to us, volumes to us, Lord. Father, I pray that what people can take away this morning is uh, what you have to tell them, but especially, Lord, that the battle is yours. That when the issues of life and the temptations of life come, that we can remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. Bless them, Lord, this week. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.